Good morning, Ashutosh. Hello, Mr. Aguan. How are you? Seeing you after a long time. Yeah, it's a great, great pleasure to meet you, especially on this platform. Absolutely. Thanks, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for agreeing to talk to me on this and your own creation, the brand called You. Um, Ashutosh, I should tell you right at the gate that this conversation is going to be more difficult for me than it is for you because whenever you had conversations and interviews, you always uh, talk to one person. Okay. In this case, it's like interviewing five people at once. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> a corporate leader, an entrepreneur, an author, a master storyteller, a management coach, and what I call as a global intellectual by virtue of all the things that you've done. So I need to talk to you within just 25 minutes. So it's a lot more challenging. I want to give you that. Thank you. Very kind of you. Very kind of you. Thank you so much. Ashutosh, there are so many facets of you that I'm sure the audience will be dying to know about. And uh, the interesting thing is that you have been seen by a set of people from one facet. But here it is today. I think I'm going to take an opportunity and try to see how we can unravel the many facets of Ashutosh Garth, right? That's what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. But let's get started. In fact, um, I'm very curious to uh, know a little bit about your early life, particularly growing up in education. So what are your great memories growing up? And when you're growing up, who were really your inspirations? Because I'm sure you draw inspiration from many sources growing up. And that's what has led to who you are today. And also what made you to reach out and join one of the most prestigious management institutions in the country for your MBA. Could you talk to us a little bit about that aspect? Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, asking me to chat with you. Ragwan, you and I go back two and a half decades uh, when we were neighbors in Laburnum. But uh, and we spent some fantastic times together. Uh, I always called you one of my very, very dear friends. So, you know, my, I was born in 1956, uh, in a very, very happy home. My father was a very decorated soldier, a brigadier when he retired, a Ati Vishish Seva medal and a Kirti Chakra uh, recipient. We were three brothers uh, and uh, grew up in a very middle-class family. My father always used to say, I may not leave a lot of money for you, but I will certainly give you the best education and great values. He gave us both education and values, but he also left behind a property which was worth a fortune. So I think that was very good. My mother uh, was one of the early uh, well-educated women who, who you know, went to uh, the, one of the convent schools and so on and so forth. And But yet she, was, she gave us some amazing values from the perspective of family, from the perspective of religion, scriptures, and so on and so forth. Uh, I'll just fast forward, I, I was, you know, in Hansraj College for my BCom honors, wasn't very sure what I wanted to do in life, a lot of like a lot of people in 15 to 16 years old. And then I discovered that MBA was a path. So uh, I did go to Jamnalal Bajaj, after which, of course, I got into uh, ITC, 17 years with ITC, and then left in 96, uh, spent eight years in aerospace. And uh, after aerospace, when uh, I was asked whether I would like to pack my bags and move to Germantown, Maryland. That is when I quit and uh, decided that that had enough of uh, the corporate world. So 
I'm sure we'll talk a little more about my entrepreneurial journey. So I won't talk very much more now. But, but very interesting, Ashutosh. Uh, so from what you say, it looks like your father and mother have been great sources of inspirations for you. Absolutely. Uh, both in terms of uh, pointing a nose towards education as a great way to move forward, as well as the values which you are not supposed to. Correct. Correct. Very interesting. And I think it's, it's quite... Uh, evident in the, in the consistent manner in which you led the rest of your life. So great. Yeah. And I would like to add one small thing about my father. I mean, I think he was my closest friend. Um, and throughout my life, he was my closest friend. In the last 10, 12 years of his life, uh, we were both in Delhi. I used to go and have lunch with him three times a week. And we used to talk two, three times every day. But there are two values that I'd love to share this with our viewers and listeners that the two things that he always told me, number one was that every morning when you stand up and look at yourself in the mirror when you shave, if you can look yourself in the eye and say, yesterday I did not knowingly harm anybody, that's the only justification you need to give to anyone in the world. You don't have to worry about anyone else in the world. And I've lived that whole thing. The second thing he told me, and I conveyed both these to both my sons as well, is that as your father, I will stand behind you like a rock, no matter what happens. You go and do anything wrong to the outside world, I will stand behind you like a rock. When you come home, I may whip you. But that's between you and me, not the outside world. And that was a very, very great source of strength for me. That's, that's amazing. That's a very solid backing for you to really go out in the world and do many things Correct. exactly what you've done in your life so that's absolutely great um so let me let me move on to your corporate career uh, you work for the biggest of firms itc the consumer facing conglomerate where you quickly grew up to be the mbc mb of the itc global uh, subsidiary and you went on to work with aerospace giants lockheed and hughes as the head of Asia. While you were still in ITC, I think in 1995, if I'm right, mm -hmm. just 16 years into the job, you were recognized as the global leader for tomorrow by none less than the World Economic Forum. So one would say that such a fantastic corporate anchoring and positioning. But let me ask you a question before I ask you what made you leave. But here is a question for you. When you were with the corporates for 25 years, what aspects of corporate life did you really enjoy the most? And what aspects really ticked you off as somebody who say, look, this is not what I want to do. So could you elaborate a little bit? Because I think there are many, many thousands of corporate senior executives out there listening to you today who are really wondering, I'm in a great spot, so I should keep going, right? So what would you say to them? based on your experience? So I, I think uh, I am where I am because of my 17 years with ITC. I think it's one of the most incredible organizations that I could have ever hoped to work for. Uh, I mean, I must say that right up front because, and I still have some very, very close friends in ITC. Uh, ITC was one of the companies, and I don't know what it is like today, but it was one of the companies where I remember the first Indian chairman of ITC used to talk about professional entrepreneur, which was a pronorial culture that he had coined on his own. And, uh, you know, we I actually lived that uh, culture in ITC. You know, the, the company would just turn around and say that 
time for you to do something different, take the lead, you know, show your initiative, you will get the support from the board. The board of the company, which in for most young people is very inaccessible, I think in ITC was a very, very accessible board. You could walk into people's offices, you could talk to them and so on. And I also remember one particular instance when in, uh, I think it was 1989, uh, I had been sent from Calcutta to uh, uh, Mumbai to start financial services. And I was called back by the then chairman of ITC, Mr. Jagdish Sapru. And I was told that I think it's time for you to go to Singapore and set up a beachhead because the board thinks that ITC must have an international presence. Uh, that was in 89 when I was 33 years old. And uh, I said, sir, I'd be very happy to go to Singapore. But uh, what do you want me to do? You've got to give me a mandate. So his, his response was, I don't know. Uh, so I said, how do you want me to go there? So he, he took out a sheet of paper, his letterhead, signed at the bottom, gave me a blank sheet and said, go and write your own mandate. <laughs> now, for a 33-year-old, it was an amazing opportunity and it was also a very frightening opportunity. And uh, I had confidence that the company, the board would stand by me, which they did. And we built a quarter billion dollar company, uh, you know, uh, very similar to the large trading houses of, uh, of Japan and Korea. And this was one of the first Indian companies that was recognized in Singapore as what used to be called an international trader. So it was an amazing opportunity that ITC afforded to me. Fantastic. That's fantastic. So, I mean, aspects like that would have reinforced you to carry on and stay, right? I mean, what elements of the corporate career need not be specifically about ITC or Lockheed or Hughes, but if you look at the corporate culture as a whole, what aspects of corporate culture do you think that today's corporate world should try and change? The kind of things that, that can tick off, uh, you know, a budding uh, entrepreneur and a senior executive like you, like that. What kind of practices do you think should be avoided? What really ticked you off? Well, I, I'll tell you what really happened when, why I left. I had never ever thought I would leave the company. But I think as happens, and it's the old so-called Indian crab syndrome, you know, a big open basket of Indian crabs. The moment anyone tries to climb out, others pull them back in. At 35, 36, 37, very, very few people used to go overseas and work in the uh, early 90s. Today, thousands of Indians are working all over the world. And therefore, that started to create a lot of issues between when people would come there and they'd see a simple Honda City and they'd say, how come this guy is driving a Honda City when we don't even have a Maruti 800 at home? Those differences was what started creating issues. And that is when a lot of challenges started to come. And uh, without going into too much detail, I think you know, there were certain confrontations that one had and the way I am uh, is, and I've written about it in my first book also, but what I decided at that time was that I think it's better for me to move on rather than keep on trying to find a system which I had grown to love and which I had prospered and grown in. So I said it's better to sidestep and walk away rather than uh, get into uh, a situation where our horns would be locked together. Very interesting, very interesting. So, I mean, the, the kind of point I'm drawing out of this is that when corporates like ITC or other organizations were gutsy enough to differentiate their performers versus non-performers, hmm. they could go all the way, all the way to make sure that the performers are uh, given the right environment to continue to perform 
and not at some point leave them to be feeling crowded and jostled around that they really look for doing something else. Would you say that would be a, a lesson for corporates? Yeah, a big lesson is that, you know, and I think this is something which is known all over the world, that if you give any individual responsibility to achieve something, senior leadership must stand by them and support them. I mean, it's the same thing that we say in cricket. You know, if, if a batsman is failing two times, three times, four times, you don't drop the batsman, but give him more opportunities and he will start to perform and come back in. So there will always be ups and downs in a corporate career, but that doesn't mean that the top leadership should junk the individual. Yeah, I get you. Moving on, uh, Ashutosh, uh, so therefore you were simply a rocking star in your corporate career. Most people would have wanted to just cruise along make tons of money, hang their boots 40 years later. But you jettisoned yourself from the corporate career and became an entrepreneur. You set up Guardian Pharmacy in 2003, grew it to the second largest pharmacy chain in India, with over 200 stores at that time, within a short time. You also brought in GNC, the nutraceuticals, and people were just beginning to spell the word nutraceuticals. Hmm. I believe the point that gets missed in your entire Guardian story is what you did to transform the experience of people when they went into a medical shop and buy stuff. Hmm. Even today, 50% of the medical stores, when you go in and buy something, they take out this little cotton from the shelf, they blow the dust out of it, wipe it with their own hands and give it to you. Whereas when you started Guardian, it was a completely fresh breath of air in that, for, in that area. The mm. people would actually go there and enjoy the shopping. They may be sick. They may be buying for somebody Correct. who's sick. Correct. But that didn't make their experience shitty. You know, I mean, mm. it was fantastic. Mm. I think that point is less spoken about when people talk about Guardian. However, let me ask you a couple of questions. What got you really started to start this first entrepreneurship? Okay. In that, what was your happiest day? What was your saddest day? Okay. So, uh, I would say... 1st April 2003, when I quit the corporate world, I had no plans in hand. And I write in my one of, in my first book that I woke up on the 1st April 2003, um, sitting on, at, at, on my bed, and I had no appointments, I had no job, I had no assistant. And I said I realized that I had joined the ranks of the educated unemployed uh, on the 1st of April 2003. My first reaction, of course, I was 45 and a half at that time. I was that I'm going to play more golf. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And lots of things that you want to do. But within a few weeks, I realized that I can't possibly be doing nothing. So uh, I started talking to friends and I started talking, looking at you know business opportunities. And what I realized was that I did not have very, very large sums of money to go and put up big plants or in the industries. So I said, let me set up a retail chain. And the, the pharmacy was a very, very large business opportunity, which was waiting to be organized. So without doing too many other things, et cetera, I just quickly wrote my first business plan. Since I've had the fortune of having traveled all over the world, uh, I said, I've got to replicate what the UK has, which is boots. And therefore, the first line of my business plan was build boots in India. And that's how it started. Um, I... I am an impulsive person. I tend to take decisions quickly. So I walked up to this uh, uh, small shop in Galleria Market, went and met the, the owner. And I said, 
give this a shot to me. Uh, I want to open a pharmacy. So he said, are you a pharmacist? I said, no. He says, what do you know about pharmacies? I said, nothing. But I do know that uh, this uh, business needs to be organized completely. And so I opened the first store, the second store, the third store. And then one after another, we just kept opening stores. And that became a very, very different experience uh, together. What was my happiest day? My happiest day was when I remember in my first day, first store, I was standing there looking at, uh, you know, you know, we were we were a almost a two hundred crore company when we sold it, but in those days, in the first days, there were the total daily revenue of the company was say five thousand rupees, and uh, a lady walked up and said that I want to buy certain sets of medicines, which uh, I gave you know the the person the pharmacist of the counter gave her, and then uh, she said I want to take uh, some shampoos etc cetera, etc, cetera. and then she said. Now, can you give me a bill for fake me for for medicines? Because in those days, you could claim the bill for medicines from uh, under Income Tax Act. And uh, the pharmacist looked at me, and I said, "No." I just shook my head um, because of the of the daily sale of five thousand rupees. This sale would have been three thousand rupees. So uh, she got very angry with me, and she said that you know this is a useless pharmacy. I'll never come again. I said, "Ma'am, I'm sorry, but we cannot give you a fake bill." And she walked out. Two days later, she walked in again and I asked her, I said that, I went up to her and I said, ma'am, we, we cannot give you a fake bill like you, we said. She said, no, no, I know, I don't want a fake bill. Since you don't give fake bills, I know I can trust the medicines. And <laughs> stayed with us all the time, never ever left us. Wonderful. The, the most, most difficult part, I think, was a, a time when I started to realize that the largest amount of stealing that was happening in our stores was by our own employees. And that was a very sad day for me when I realized that people who are part of the organization are stealing and taking advantage of the fact that there are so many uh, items in the store uh, that by the time stock, check stock checking happens, someone has taken enough money out and run away. That is what was my, probably my saddest occasion. Okay, okay. Those are very, very deep uh, points. Uh, I can understand how you must have gone ups and downs uh, with this. Correct. But uh, today, uh, there are lots of entrepreneurs who are getting into the virtual space. I would consider pharmacy outlets as brick and mortar stores. And uh, what would be, if you have to give one advice to anybody today who wants to start a brick and mortar business of that kind, hmm. what would be your one message? One message for any brick and mortar stores, and brick and mortar stores are not disappearing. You know, they will continue to exist uh, no matter how big online uh, becomes. Brick and mortar stores, basically, my, 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 my lessons are that you've got to make sure that your systems and processes are so strong that inventory that is sitting in your stores is protected no matter what happens because inventory is cash. And every rupee of cash that disappears without payment is a direct loss to you as an entrepreneur. So just make sure you have systems that protect your inventory. It's a fantastic point. I mean, uh, uh, combining what point that you mentioned earlier and this one, it looks like entrepreneurs should not wait for them to get to a scale before they put the systems in place. Correct. Correct. You start out right in the beginning. That's what I kind of understand from what Correct. you're saying. Correct. Let me move on to another part of you, right? It's, it's never-ending facets of you, Ashutosh. <laughs> Let's talk about you as the author. Okay. Right? Between 2011 and 2021, you have published eight non-fiction books, 
in a rapid fire speed. I consider it as a rapid fire speed. Mm -hmm. The buck stops here, my journey from manager to entrepreneur in 2011. The buck stops here, learnings of a startup entrepreneur in 2014. Reinvent, reboot, rewire, managing retirement in the 21st century in 2015. The brand called you in 2018. Retirement book in Hindi in 2021. And how to survive failure and come out stronger in 2021. These are amazing books. And one thing that I can, uh, I have read some of them. I've been the beneficiary of some of them. Uh, one thing that comes through clearly is a no-brainer. That means you really want to give it to people, your experiences and your life and your learnings without them having to reinvent the wheel. That's kind of, to me, the obvious thing. And the fact that you've written two books with buck stops here is very symbolic of looks like a principle that you have followed in everything that you've done. Now, listening to you, when you said what your dad told you, no matter what happened, I am there to back you up, seems to have had some influence on the way that you look at life and say, if I am the entrepreneur, if I am the executive, buck stops with me. It's a very, very strong, simple sounding, very profound philosophy that seems to have gone through at least some of the books that you're writing. Hmm. Uh, am I right in characterizing this, that Buck Stops here is a very symbolic representation of who you are Correct. in terms of operating principles? Correct. The, I agree with you what you're saying. Buck Stops here is, is something which I was my first book. And the reason I selected the title, I mean, the first time I think the world saw Buck Stops here as a phrase was on the table of... Uh, a U.S. president, I think it was the FDR, where he used to have a signage which said the buck stops here on his table. And all of us as professional CEOs used to keep saying the buck stops with me. Uh, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I realized that the buck stops with the person who has to find money at the end of the month to pay salaries to his team. Uh, that I thought was the reason, uh, you know, where the buck stops and which is why I titled the book, The Buck Stops Here. Fabulous. It's very good. Um, question, right? I'm sure that amongst your friends, including me, there are people who are aspiring to write a book, mm -hmm. right? Um, what would be your advice? What do you consider as routines or what uh, what is known as atomic habits that people should get into in order to really successfully get started with and actually writing a book? Would you... What would you like to advise such aspirants? The first thing that I would say is don't wait. In that old famous line of everyone has at least one book inside them uh, applies. And, you know, you've had an amazing career yourself, you know, between so many different business from air conditioning to education to real estate. Uh, I think uh, each one of us has something to give back. And that is something which I think we should all write down. So, my only thing is don't don't wait, don't procrastinate. Put down on a piece of paper the framework that you want to talk about and you're ready to go. Once you start writing, your mind starts to flow on its own. Believe me, every little thing that you write, whether it's the birth of your children, uh, whether it is promotions in your careers, whether it is a fantastic uh, day of golf, Every little thing, when you live through and you're, you're writing, it's a very cathartic experience for you. And if nothing else, 
it is a fantastic legacy to leave behind for your grandchildren to say, here is one individual who wrote of, who had an amazing life and who wrote what he or she had experienced in their life. So you must write. Just saying, get started. Correct. Right. Fabulous. But I deliberately left aside two other books which you've written. They are the fictions, right? The Corner Office in 2014 and an eye for an eye in 2016. I mean, Ashutosh, what got you started on fictions? So I write on on, on anything. I mean, you know, uh, once I make up my mind that I want to write, I keep mulling over multiple thoughts. And uh, fiction was something I, you know, so most authors write based on their own personal experiences. In the corner office is something which really epitomizes my own life in the corporate world, uh, which is now garbed or, 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 or uh, hidden. The characters are hidden. Multiple, uh, each character is created based on multiple people that I have known. And I know who, who, uh, who has been my inspiration for each character. But I think the messaging that I'm trying to give in the, in the brand called in, 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 in the corner office is that at the end of the day, it's you yourself, which is going be, who's going to be happy for whatever your achievements are. It must not be in comparison to, oh, Mr. Raghavan has done so well in his life. Why am I, Ashutosh Gagg, not doing as well as he is? And that's very typical human reaction for all of us. You've got a Mercedes, I've got a Maruti. When can I get a Mercedes? By all means, think about it, but don't drive your life based on that. The uh, book, An Eye for an Eye, is really an inspiration from um, Jeffrey Archer's Cain and Abel, about two individuals. And it's, the, it's, it's, it's my biggest book, uh, about 400 pages. And it's the book that I probably spend the maximum amount of time uh, writing. Fabulous. But let me ask you a question. Inside, I want an inside scoop, okay? Mm. Your wife, Vera Gurd, is a pillar of strength at the American Embassy School. She's been in the school for the past 25 years. And she is by far a historian par excellence. Mm. Tell me that an eye for an eye, you didn't draw some inspiration and tips and clues from her because your book really is mired in history across multiple periods. So I, I, I think I have learned a lot from my wife. I think Veera has been a, a tremendous source of inspiration for me. Uh, she's also been one person who has always, uh, as I say, punctured my balloon whenever I seem to be flying too high and brought me back down to earth. So I think uh, we've had a fantastic marriage of four decades. Uh, we just complete 40 years and uh, she's she's been a very, very strong pillar for me. As far as history is concerned, she's a well-known historian. She has, uh, but I must say also that when we got married, if she would ask me, do you know who's Babar? And I would say, yeah, there's a road named after him in Delhi. Or if she said, you know, this, who's Humayu? And I'd say, there's a road named after him. But I've learned over the last four decades, she knows a lot. So whenever we travel, wherever in the world, she does all the research. I just follow her and learn so much more. It's also true. I think in my opinion, she's been consistently doing one thing of being the best teacher that they can find on one side mm -hmm. and allowing you to go from one corporate to another, to an entrepreneur, to right. an author, and today the master storyteller that you are. So I think it's been a great combination. So congratulations on your 40 years of marriage. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
let me move on to something else the brand called you you started this video and podcast just in 2019 it's not like a century old or a 20 year old thing it's just 2019 just four years ago hmm. and within a short few years you scaled it up to 1900 people have been spoken to on the platform they come from 45 different countries across 20 categories and what i understood was that there are 4 million viewers annually they heard that in chingara the viewership just crossed 400 million views 400 million views this is fantastic the content in the brand called you in my opinion in its archives is worth the management university in itself I think right. because so much of juice out there here are some questions for you what made you really start the brand called you what really sparked you an associated question is i think starting something like this and talking to people 1900 people across 20 different uh, sectors and 45 countries really you must have spent a lot of time researching and understanding about everybody because you very much concern yourself about bringing the most value to your audience Correct. So what kind of research goes into this work? So uh, I started the brand called You in 2019 with the objective of giving back. Um, I remember when I was 22 years old after my business school, I was always looking for books of corporate leaders and very few books were available. Today, thousands of books are available, but the young are not reading enough. I'm not saying that they're not taking knowledge, but they're taking in different formats. So I said, if their book, people are not picking up books, and I look at both my sons, uh, who are both millennials, and they don't read enough. So I said, let me start conversations with the world leaders. And uh, I've been fortunate in my life to have known many, many people from around the world. Those conversations started off well, and I think those conversations are something which I've now started putting out uh, on Brand Called You. And it's just grown from strength to strength. It's now acquired a life of its own. We now uh, are seeing people writing from all over the world to say that we want to be a part of this show. A uh, lot of podcasters uh, say that, oh, it's very difficult to find a guest. I said, I have over 100 people in the waiting list at any one point of time. Uh, and these are not, these are very, very senior people because if uh, you have a good good experience when you spoke to me, then you referred two more friends uh, to me. Now, that way I'm able to get people from your network. When I talk to your friends, they refer me to two more people. That is how this thing has grown, um, you know, and, and it's grown exponentially. So I think that this is a very powerful knowledge experience wisdom platform. And we will just continue to invest in it. Uh, I'm not doing it right now for any commercials. But someday, maybe, uh, you know, if we can find some way to monetize it, we'll certainly look at it. It's fabulous. I mean, it's got money. It's just treasure of, uh, treasure of wealth in, in this form here. Mm -hmm. But was there any particular point where you could see the tipping point for scaling up? Because I'm sure it was started, when you started, it was mostly physical, and then you had to do one after the other. Yeah. And suddenly, at some point, boom, before you know, you've got 1,900 people who have been interviewed. So was I think... Point. The tipping point was really the pandemic, uh, you know, uh, people had time, we were sitting at home and the pandemic enabled me to go and pandemic and, and Zoom, uh, of course, enabled me to go global. 
and now that we are global and we are talking to people from all over the world, I don't see myself looking back at all. In fact, I was experimenting, uh, talking to somebody and saying that uh, we now need to bring in more and more technology. And why can I not develop a platform on the metaverse where next time I sit and talk to you, Raghwan, could be in three dimension in a cafe on Mars? Right. So, so I think I think it's just you know the, the, we are only limited by our own imagination. Very exciting, very exciting. I can't see, I can't wait to see where all you are taking this, uh, Ashutosh. Now, let me move on to something else. I think a few other things that you've done. I would like to put you into the bracket of what I call as a global intellectual. Let me state as to why I'm saying this. You served as a director of Gavi the Geneva headquartered Vaccine Alliance for eight years. You served as the chairman of BizDome, a startup incubator of IAM Rotec. You served as a member of the advisory council of the Center for Policy Research in New Delhi. You've been an active member of the IPO and served as its chairman for IPO Gold, South Asia. You are a charter member of TAI. You got certified as a coach in 2017 and have coached over 25 CEOs around the world so far. I am getting overwhelmed just reading the above out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but here is a question, really. I mean, how do you manage to find time and energy? I can understand the motivation. You already spoken about the motivation. Really want to find ways of giving. How do you find the time and energy to participate? And just not participate, but excel in so many facets. What personal practices do you adopt to make this possible? How do you build a versatility? Because it's not the same thing many times over. You've done multiple things across multiple locations, across multiple time frames, and you sustained it over 40 plus years. How do you build a versatility that is required to engage Great. in very different endeavors like this? Great questions. Thank you. Let me try and answer them one by one. As far as the 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 energy is concerned. I, I've always, again, this is what my father told me, and I've told all, not both my son, but all my nephews and nieces, that there is nothing called tired in my dictionary. Right? If you if you think you're, you need a rest, go and rest. But you can't say I'm tired. And a lot of us just keep going through life saying I'm tired, I can't do this. Uh, my whole thing has been that how many more experiences can I get and I have been fortunate that I keep getting invited by several people to go and sit, either sit on the board or uh, sit, you know, go on their advisory councils, etc. Uh, I think one very, very rich experience I had was to serve on the board of Gavi, the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization in Geneva. And that was at the forefront of vaccination throughout the pandemic. So I think that was a fantastic experience. Um, what I also attempt to do is that when I am with any particular thing, if I'm writing a book, then my mind is only on my book. When I'm uh, on my podcast, those three days I give only to my podcast. When I was in Geneva, nothing else was bothering me. And yet I do know that uh, I turn around my emails within a few, uh, you know, few hours. I don't never let anything uh, wait. Uh, my WhatsApps, I respond as within a few minutes or a few uh, whatever I can. Uh, and it's also probably because uh, as I'm getting older, I want to be able to respond rather than say after one, you know, uh, one day that, oh, I forgot. I'm sorry, I forgot to respond because I missed it. So uh, 
I think it's just a mindset issue that I've had that whatever I do, I give it my best. As far as time is concerned, I don't think I have ever said to anybody that I don't have the time to meet you. It's my job to make sure that I find the time uh, to meet somebody. And I, I've never said no to anybody. I think what you are, you are not saying in this is that you have a personal habit where you get up around 3.34 in the morning. Yes. And you create time. So tell us a little bit about what personal habits that you are following in order to make this wide range of things possible. So, you know, uh, I, I do, uh, uh, I sleep very early at 9 o'clock, uh, 9 p.m. And I'm up at 3.30, quarter to 4 every day. Again, at my age, six, six and a half hours of sleep is more than enough for me. And, uh, you know, I try and structure my day in a manner that I do, I'm able to give time for everything else. I still give a lot of time to watching uh, all the OTT platforms, you know, when I'm walking, when I'm doing whatever else. So I do give myself time. And that is also entertainment. So I don't think I restrict myself in anything. I don't think I, I don't do uh, things that I want to. Uh, my wife Vera and I have traveled to over 80 countries and we we took a call about five, you know, 14, 15 years ago that we would every year go to two new places in India and two new countries. And we've been doing that uh, barring two years of the pandemic. Every year we go to some new place in India and overseas. So uh, I think there's a lot that we can do in life. Uh, we just have to make sure we don't let anything step up. Fabulous, fabulous. You really are creating and opening up a world of possibilities for people because what you're saying is the limitation is in our own minds and there are many ways to not let limitation come in our in front of us hmm. fabulous now i'm going to take maximum another five minutes is that all right you have yeah, the time absolutely it's got only two sections one is i'm going to ask you your most favorite question that you've asked people i cannot complete this conversation without doing unto you what you do unto others. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you your favorite question. Can you guess the question? No. Okay. What does success mean to you? Oh, uh, okay. So success can mean different things to different people, different things at different times uh, in our lives. Um, I remember when I was in my mid-20s, success was getting a bigger car, bigger house, etc., etc., but as I look back now, success to me means that am I being able to give back uh, everything that I've been fortunate enough to receive in terms of knowledge? Uh, am I able to uh, monitor, you know, mentor, support people who are reaching out to me to be able to say uh, they need some help? Am I able to uh, express my thoughts without any fear? Uh, which I do in my writings. And finally, uh, I've often said this, that most of us do not have the courage to say no. For me, success also means that if I'm not able to do something, I turn around and say, I'm sorry, I will not do it. Rather than say, let me figure out a way to do it. So success means different things at different times. But today it is, how can I see a lot of other people benefit from all the fortunes that I have had? It's fabulous. It's fantastic. I think it. I think the most significant point you're mentioning is don't get fixated on one definition of success. Uh, you got to you got to pivot and keep looking at the stage of your life. 
and see what can what how can you defend success for yourself and go after you can do it that's Correct. kind of getting out of it that's great thank you i'm going to go to the last section these are some rapid fire questions very okay. quickly and um, okay here you go best score on a golf game for what been the best uh, 16 that's that's my dream score <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite holiday destination now here is a caveat you cannot say singapore where your older son varun lives or arkansas where your younger son ashwin lives okay. so tell me a place which is your favorite i, I would say one of one of my favorite destinations was the maldives you know we uh, went there two years ago and you know my my idea for holiday is that you don't do anything and sitting on in, in that and vera loves to go and sightsee and go to all the historical places so they here we were on an island we had nothing to do those seven days were i think an ideal holiday destination that's great next question simple question rolex a titan rolex i've always had a rolex single malt smoky 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 without a question lagavulin in 16 is my all time favorite <laughs> okay last of the rapid fire okay netflix what's been your most favorite thing that you watched so netflix watched. i watch so much constantly and i love these uh, long you know episodes i would say prison break was an outstanding one i would say that sopranos was an outstanding one and there are so many of those but what i like are long multi episode uh series all right okay i'm going to leave you with one last question and uh, i know ashutosh i have the privilege information that you are on your way to publishing a next book can you say a little bit about it sure um, it's gone for publication again this is a very very different topic that i decided to work on uh, this is a book that is uh, and it, i've i've often said that i don't think a lot of young people understand the kind of wealth of knowledge we have in uh, our indic scriptures and why i'm using the word indic is that four of the major religions on the world came from have come from india hinduism sikhism buddhism and jainism uh, and i was fortunate in the pandemic to do an eight month program from harvard on the seven major religions of the world uh, where i cleared an exam and everything else so what i did was that i said let me relate a lot of what i have read with my life in management and therefore the book is titled seven chakras of management ancient wisdom from indic scriptures fabulous fabulous you're getting this out the end of the year this year uh, by september october it should be out okay. rupa is the publisher congratulations this is a uh... almost another genre of uh, what you're writing correct ashish shows thank you so much for giving so much time and uh, really appreciate it uh, i think that it's impossible to do justice to the depth of things that you've done the variety of things that you've done but i think uh, the viewers got a glimpse of the several facets of the brand called ashish gad and uh, there are lessons that people can take away it's great i am sure that Uh, we will soon have to have another conversation with you where we may have the opportunity to go deeper into some elements of it maybe shorter ones but you got so much to give and you already are giving 
and thank you for giving me the time today. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Raghun, so much for inviting me to your podcast. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed all the detailed research you've done, all the detailed questions that you've asked me. And as I said, we've known each other for two and a half decades. I look forward to spending all so many more of my old age years together with you. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Sarshit. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.